So yeah, I'm here to talk to you today about abounding in liberality. I think that's my topic. I think I have a po- I have a PowerPoint. It's really cool looking. I don't know. I can't see it. <coughs> oh, the lights. Yeah, it, the less light, the better it is. Yeah. So abounding in liberality, or like the quality of giving or spending freely or being generous, basically. So that's what we're talking about. Um, so depending on what version or what word choices you use, the Bible, it talks a lot about money anywhere from like 700 to 2,000 times, which is a lot. Um, and Jesus talks about money more than heaven and hell. 11 of the 39 parables, um, Jesus talks about money, and money is mentioned a lot in the New Testament and the Old Testament. So like money is something that's talked about in the Bible, and uh, it's something that... Um, People don't like to talk about in general, though. <laughs> um, but in America, before we get into this, in America, I was looking around more, um, and I'm the f- new finance chair, so I've been like digging into financial stuff and digging into the word um, to see what God says about money instead of what you know people say about money. But I was also looking around at different tithing rates and like what the percentages are and everything. And you've probably heard 2.4%, which I saw a lot when I was looking around that like 2.4% of like Christians in America tithe. I don't know if that's a real number or not. I don't know how they, you know, really figure out all these things. I also saw a Barna study that said 12% of evangelical Christians tithe or more than tithe, which is a lot better than 2.4%. Um... And then I found another Barna study that said the average church, the people in the church, so if you have 100 people in the church or whatever, 10 to 25% of the church will generally tithe and make up close to 80% of the entire church's budget. Um, So that's a lot more than 2.4%, but it's actually still, I mean, you know, that's a really small number. Um, But we're not going to talk much about tithing right now. We're going to go on to some other things. I just wanted to throw those numbers out there because we might talk about them later if I don't run out of time. Um, So if you look in the New Testament, and especially the Gospels, one of the things you see is how giving Jesus was, okay, and how giving he calls us to be. Jesus gave his life, all of his life, right? 2 Corinthians 8 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he was God, right? Yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. So Jesus gave all of himself for us. And he's called us to do the same. Okay, he's called us to give ourselves. In Matthew 10, when he sends the uh, disciples out um, to heal the sick and, and preach the good news, he also tells them, free, as freely you have received, freely give. Um, so like he's telling us, you know, look, I've given you all of this. You should give freely as well. And um, if you read in Luke chapter 14, you can turn there if you want. Um, in ver- we'll start in verse 25. It says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? 
For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. So Jesus is talking about like the counting the cost of discipleship, okay? And he says everything. And when he says everything, it includes money. And I know that for a lot of us, um, that's something that like is hard to let go of. Um, but he says everything. And if you go to Matthew 19, Jesus is uh, talking to the rich man here. In Matthew 19, verse 16. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones? The man inquired. Jesus replied, Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So Jesus called the rich man to give up his money. I want us to see that like money is not excluded from the call and the cost of discipleship. So, if you look in in actually the entire Bible, you also see uh, God's concern for the poor and those who don't have much. Um, and you'll also see how the church is called to take care of them. Okay, um, and you will also see what I believe is a call for us as a church to excel in the grace of giving. Um, we're going to turn to Second Corinthians chapter eight, and we're working our way towards my uh, theme verse. If you see it in the schedule, I also, like Hannah, forgot to look and see what my verse was. But fortunately, as I prepped my message, it was one of the two main passages I was studying on, so I didn't have to redo things. <laughs> um, so Second Corinthians chapter eight. Um, so Paul is taking, he's talking about the collection that's being taken up for the Jerusalem church, which was in great need. Um, they were poor in the middle of a famine, so they were in great need. And in eight, chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that, the, that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected. 
but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So Paul is talking about like the extreme poverty. He says extreme poverty of the Macedonian church. People gave beyond their ability and sacrificed for other people. Just like Jesus, he, he sacrificed for us, right? Um, and <clears throat> they, didn't, they didn't do as they were expected. They had, Paul had expectations for them, and they went way beyond those expectations. Um, they were generous with what they possessed. They gave, I can't even say this word. I tried to say this word a lot, and there's some words I just can't say liberally. See, I can't even say it. I wrote it down, and then I realized I can't actually speak the word. (laughs) But they were very generous. They, They were abounding in liberality. I can say liberality. Okay. So, um, they gave beyond themselves. And um, Paul encourages the Corinthians church, if we read, if we read on in verse 6, so we urge Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Okay, so Paul is encouraging the church to excel in the grace of giving, just as they excelled in these other things, in faith, in messages or sermons, in knowledge and in love. They excelled in these things as a church, and he's encouraging them to also excel in giving. Okay, excel in giving. Um, and I think that when you want to excel in something, you have to like work at it. And so I'll study the word sometimes because I want to I want to know Jesus and I want to like further my understanding of him. And so I study it because I want to excel in that. If you want to excel and Mike was talking about sports earlier, like you have to like practice and you work towards it. Okay. And so he's not just saying, you know, to like give. He's like excel in the grace of giving and it's something you have to work towards. Um, so I guess my question, what hit me when I was reading this is like, do we work to grow and excel in the grace of giving or have like, we just stopped and been like, okay, I give and I'm good. Like I personally was convicted that I need to work and grow to excel even more in the grace of giving because we're following the example of Jesus. And then he goes on in verse 10 says, and here's my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Okay, so I don't think that Paul's talking about socialism here, at least like in the in the sense that we would, you know, think about the, yeah, we're not going to go there. But he's not talking about socialism. What he is talking about is loving people. 
Okay, he's talking about loving people. I think he's talking about what John is talking about. If you turn to 1 John chapter 3. In 1 John 3, verse 11, it says, This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who, Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers, laying down our life for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Okay? So he's not talking about socialism. He's talking about love. If my brothers and sisters are in need and I have the ability to help and I don't, how can the love of God be in me? That's just like, that pierces my heart. Okay? Because when I see something and I see somebody in need, like, there's action there that's required on my part if I'm going to love them. So my encouragement there is for us to not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth and abound in our generosity in that. Paper is being picky. Okay, so now we're going to move on to our... (laughs) We're going to move on to our main uh, passage here, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Okay, so we're still talking about the same thing. We're talking about um, about the collection for Jerusalem. Um, and in verse 6 of chapter 9, says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Okay, so we're going to go through some of those verses here. I haven't, I'm like not a farmer. I've never been a farmer, um, but I did work a little bit with my parents when I was a kid in the garden. They had like corn and strawberries and grapes and peach trees and apple trees, and they had basically like a whole, you know, farm thing going on. My dad told me once he counted like 300 he counted the number of kernels in a corn corn cob thing. I don't like corn, so, you know. But um, he said there were about 300 kernels on a cob of corn. So um, that's like a lot of seeds that you can then plant. And when people want a big crop, like you sow generously, and then like 
if you sow generously, you reap generously, right? Like you sow and you get that, that thing of corn and there's like 300 more seeds on there that you can use. Um, but if you want, I know when you're planting seeds and stuff, if you want a big crop, you have to sow generously. If you sow sparingly, it doesn't work. That makes sense, right? Okay, and so he's talking about the same thing here with our money, okay? If you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. And if you sow generously, you will reap generously. So, so far we've talked about the call to follow Jesus, give our whole life, including money. We've talked about the encouragement to excel in the grace of giving and the call to love people with our material possessions. But here we get to see what happens when we do this generously or when we abound in that liberality, giving freely. We reap generously. And if you look at these verses, you see some different things that are reaped. It says in verse 8 that not only is God able to make his grace abound to you, but that you can have all, at all times everything you need. Okay? Not just some things, but everything you need. Okay? Everything. Everything that you need. Okay, some of us are in need for stuff, and we don't feel like we're able to give generously because we have this need. Have you ever felt like that? I felt like that. Maybe, maybe no one else has, but I felt like that. Um, but in God's word, it says that if we do this, like we will have everything we need. So, like we need to be generous, even like in our need, because God will supply our needs for us, and we will reap um, generously. And it says, not only will you have all that you need, but like we will abound in every good work. We will be like able to do this. We'll be full. We will abound in like every good work, and that's exciting. Um, if you read verses ten and eleven again, it says. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Hey, God is the one who gives us what we have. Okay, the things that we have come from God. Okay, you you might go to work and and... And do work at your job and get money from your job. But God is the one who gives us what we have. Okay? God is the one who gives us what we have. He supplies us with that. And when we abound in liberality and we, when we're generous, it says that we will be made rich in every way so that we can be generous on every occasion. So it's like if you are generous, God's going to give you the ability to be even more generous because he's the one who gives it to you. Right? And the result of that is thanksgiving, praise to God. Okay? And if you keep reading in verse 12, it says, This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. <clears throat> so, talking about supplying the needs of God's people. When we give and we're generous, we can supply the needs of God's people. Okay, Because of giving, men will praise God 
for the obedience that goes with your confession and for the generosity. When you're generous, it results in like God being praised and like people seeing that. When you sow generously, you enable ministry to happen. Okay, the gospel can go forth. The poor are helped. People get saved. Okay, so when you sow generously, God's kingdom gets advanced. Okay, when you sow generously, God's kingdom is advanced. So, <clears throat> what you see here in this passage, I believe, is physical blessings, spiritual blessings. And if you look back in Matthew 19, you don't have to turn there. I'll, I'll read it to you. You can if you want. Matthew 19, back to the um, where Jesus was talking to the rich man. In 1927, uh, Peter answered, we have left. This is right after uh, the rich man walks away and, and um, Jesus says, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to him, I tell you the truth at the renewal, renewal of all things. When the son of man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Okay, so there are physical, spiritual and eternal blessings involved with sowing generously. Um, so there's that. And I also want to look now quickly, um, because my time is, is going quickly, um, at a couple of places in the Word where I think we see generous giving and what accompanies that. Okay, so if you want to turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Um, in Acts chapter 2, <coughs> Peter gives a sermon, everyone's there, and um, and a bunch of people get saved. I think, yeah, 3,000 people are added to their number, it says. So a bunch of people get saved. And right after that, in verse 42 of chapter 2, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So you see a lot of ministry happening here. You see people coming into the kingdom. You see fellowship and people like growing in the Lord and all these things happening. And it's not happening just because people were being generous. That's more like a result of like what the Lord is doing. But the generosity of people um, selling their possessions and giving to people also enabled that type of stuff to happen. Okay? If you have poor people and no one's being generous, like they can't partake of what's going on. So people are being generous and enabling this ministry to happen. And God blessed it. People were being saved. Um, in Acts chapter 4, you see the same thing. In 4.32, <clears throat> all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that, that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. 
For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put them at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Okay, so it's the same thing. People were being generous and enabling ministry to happen. If they weren't being generous, there would be needy people among them, okay? They were letting this ministry happen by being generous with their money. They were sowing generously, and they were reaping benefits, okay? (coughs) They were abounding in liberality. Um, So we won't turn there. Yeah, we won't turn there because of time. But if you think about the parable of the talents as well, um, all three, you guys know about the parable of talents, right? Yes? Okay. So all three of them are given different amounts of money, and they're all expected to use it wisely. And when the master returned, he gave an increase to those who would use money well. Okay, God gives us all that we have, and he expects us to use it for his kingdom and for his glory. And when we do, we're enabled to do that even more because he sees that we're being good stewards. Um, <coughs> so I, I don't think that you can look at God's word and argue against our call to abound in liberality and to give and be generous and excel in the grace of giving. I don't think you can make that argument. It totally fits as who God is and who we're called to be, to be great givers. Because God is a great giver who gives good gifts to his children, right? We can't argue against that in the scripture. And so I've talked to people, and I've read a lot of things on the internet that confuse me, though, because as as human beings who are, are still sinful, like we try to find ways around stuff. <laughs> We do. It's like, okay, well, I believe that, but it's hard for me to part with my money, so what, how can I make the Bible say something else? Um, it happens, though. So, um, you know, they won't disagree with that, but they'll talk about, for example, like not tithing. They'll say, the tithe is a part of the law. We're not under the law, so instead I'm going to be generous. But somehow the generosity comes up being like less than tithing would. Okay? It just, it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense. Okay? Like, it doesn't. And so, if you read throughout the Bible, over time, more and more of Jesus in the gospel and who and who God is, is revealed as you go through. And the tithe was 10% or up to 23%, depending on how you want to add everything up. But as more of Jesus is revealed and we have more knowledge of how to live and who we're called to be... Okay, shouldn't our generosity increase beyond the tithe instead of below it because we're not under the law? Like, it just doesn't make sense. Jesus, when he came, he didn't say, don't worry, I'm here now, you have to give less of yourself. He didn't, you know, he says, follow me and be ready to give up everything. Okay, everything. The call is greater, it's not lesser. Okay, we can't take that and make it an excuse to be less giving of ourselves and our possessions. So if you remember what I said at the beginning about tithing percentages, this is like just what makes me sad because the church in America, like it can't be considered generous when she doesn't come even remotely close to tithing. Okay, that breaks my heart. God has blessed us with enormous riches in America. Okay, and the church is holding it back. 
the church is holding it back. And if you turn to Malachi, which I've been reading, um, in chapter 3, verse 6, um, says, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Okay, so like, it still blows my mind, like, he says that they are robbing him, like people are robbing God, okay? And he says, stop, bring in the tithe, and God says to test him, okay? He says to test him, like, generally, like, I don't want to test God in things, because that's not a good idea, okay? But God says to test him in this. He says to test him in this, and if we believe God's word is true, then we need to do this, okay? We just read about sowing generously, and if you sow generously, you reap generously. This is like the same thing. Like, you do this, and I will bless you. Like, you will reap, okay? Um, so the question here is, like, do we trust God's word? Do we trust God when he says something? Like, if we do, then our actions are going to show that. And um, as I've thought through all of this stuff, it's kind of crazy, Um we pay taxes, right? We pay taxes to the government, and that's good because we're supposed to, you know, pay taxes to our government. Um, but generally, when we pay taxes to the government, um, I don't think when we're actually in the middle of it, we're thinking, oh, I'm doing this, like, uh, yay, I'm honoring the Lord by paying taxes to the government. Usually, like, we're doing it because we have to pay taxes to the government, right? You don't really have a choice. If you don't pay taxes to the government, then there is punishment, Okay, you don't really have a choice. Um, but we pay our taxes to the government who gives us very little and makes no promises it keeps and just like takes, right? Okay. <laughs> because we're afraid of punishment. Okay, because we're afraid of punishment. You've got to pay up. But as I've like thought about that, it's like who do we like really trust and fear more? Like God or our government that we will just Oh, there's the taxes. I don't have a choice, but like we hold back from God, but we give to the government. And as I was reading through Malachi in chapter one, in verse six, it says, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If I am a father, where's the honor due me? If I'm a master, where's the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. It is you, O priests, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? Uh, you <clears throat> place defiled food on my altar, but you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord 
Almighty. Now implore the Lord to be gracious with us. It's just like, man, like we give the government like whatever it asks for, and then like we give God like leftovers. That's just, (laughs) it's not right. So as I prepared, I was tempted to leave things here with an exhortation to like abound in liberality and be just a generous people. Um, And that's the message I want you to hear and live out in action and truth, okay? I want you to hear that. Um, But preparing for this has really just like wrecked me and destroyed me um, as I've dug into God's word and like tried to get his heart on this. As I studied passages and prayed, like, the Lord just brought conviction down upon me. Um, so I think for believers everywhere, it's hard to see past, like, blind spots that we have due to our culture. Okay, our culture, like, shapes us in such a way that we we view everything through it. And that's why the word says to renew our minds. Um, so my fear here is that we would like walk out and interpret God's word a certain way because of the culture that we live in. And it's hard to fight against that, but God has really shown me as I prepare that I was interpreting things through like just the American culture that we live in. And our culture is one of affluence. Okay, we have everything. And even those who are considered low income have more than almost anyone else in the world. Okay, we do. The Macedonian church gave out of their extreme poverty and beyond their ability. We don't even really know what extreme poverty is here. Okay, we don't. And they gave out of that. The believers in Jerusalem are suffering as many believers around the world are today. And we as a church in America, like, give at these low numbers. It just seems wrong. Okay. If you read Matthew 6, I'll go ahead and turn there. In Matthew six nineteen, it says, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And this just convicts me because... We spend money on a lot of things, whether it's cars or a newer house or vacations, and we like we plan and save and figure out how to like make that work. Okay, how to do that? Um, but a lot of that stuff like isn't really in need. Okay, and it's not storing up anything in heaven. Okay, we're spending it on things that moth and rust destroy. And I understand that like we need cars to get around in America. I'm not, I like I'm aware of that. Um, but there are people suffering around the world. There's believers suffering around the world. There's people that die every day of starvation and like because they don't have clean water. And there's just like the world outside of our little bubble is different. Okay? Just like the Corinthian church was a rich church. Okay? They were wealthy. And over in Jerusalem, there was famine. And the Macedonian church was not wealthy. They were impoverished, okay? And they were giving beyond their ability to help over there. And as a church in America, we uh, we just, we live in affluence. And so I don't want us to walk out of here and <clears throat> think that, like, I'm really generous because I give more than the average person, 
Okay? Like, if I read the Word and I, like, as I've done this and i prayed, I see a call to crazy giving, like, is what I would call it. Not just, like, tithing, not just, like, okay, I'm going to give, like, 12% of my income or whatever. It might look that like that for you, depending on, like, your place in life, but it's not about a percentage. It's, like, this generosity that springs from your heart because you love God and then you love people and you see that, like, you need to be generous. Um, so the question that God just has been, like, reverberating in my mind here is what would happen if we decided to, like, take everything we own off the table and say, how can I arrange my life and my possessions and finances and live in a way that leaves as much as possible for me to give away? And that's that's kind of crazy. If you, like, sit down and you look at it, that's, like, so countercultural. And it's so countercultural even within the church. But I don't want to store up things here where moth and rust destroy. Okay? I want my heart to be where God's heart is, and I want to put my money there. So if we lived in a way that instead of focusing on our own comforts, focused on how to comfort others, that's what I think like Jesus' heart is, okay? And so as I thought through this, I just I came up with different things and and I don't know what exactly it looks like depending on your situation, but we have this thing in America where, like, we live at our income level. Like, whatever our income increases to, we, like, move up to there. It happens. At least, I know it's happened for Laura and I, and I think it happens to most people, um, at least from what I've seen. But we don't have to live at that level, okay? Like, what if we decided as a church, like, hmm, I can give away 25% of my income, and I'm going to do that because, and it's going to change how I live, but I can do that, and I can still, you know, live here. Like, that would be, like, a change that people see. That would be a change that, like, results in the glory of God. And it sounds crazy, but it's not really any crazier than anything Jesus ever said, okay? And I'm just using 25% as an example, but... um, Everybody makes different amounts of money, and as I was reading, the median income in America is fifty thousand a year, which means most people live on fifty thousand a year in America. Okay, the average person will live on fifty thousand a year. Oops. Oh. Oh, or they'll live on more even though they don't have it. But fifty thousand dollars is a livable income. It might be difficult, but it's a livable income. So if you like make eighty thousand, hundred thousand dollars, and you decide instead of living at that, like it's possible, you know it's possible to live at a lower level. Like what? Like I don't know. This is just what the Lord is like convicting me of. Like, should I live at that hundred thousand dollar level, or should I say, hmm, you know, my brothers and sisters over here live at fifty thousand. I could do that and give away half of my income. Like that's insane. But I don't think that's, like, against, like, the word. Okay? And you're still at that median income, and a lot of people live on that. So I'm not talking about exact numbers. I know there's taxes. There's a whole lot of things that go on in the mind, like how to make stuff like that work. Um, 
But if me living at a lower level means I can give away more to advance the kingdom of God and make a difference in my brothers and sisters here and around the world, shouldn't I desire to do that? I should, okay? And if you look at God's promises, he says to test him in giving, and he says that when we sow generously, we reap generously, and we'll be able to be even more generous, okay? Like, that's what God says, and we need to take him at his word and live that out. Um, so as we as we wrap up here, um, I want to revisit, I think, the most important thing, and that's the heart, okay? If you go back to 2 Corinthians in 9.7, it says, Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God doesn't want you to give reluctantly or because you have to give. Okay, he wants your heart. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, it says in Matthew, and like we act like from what's inside our heart. So our giving and generosity should come from a love for God and faith in him, not because you're like, well, just as said this, and now I'm going to feel guilty if I don't like do something or whatever. It's not like you have, it's like your love for God and your desire to see his kingdom advancing should be like where that generosity comes from because Jesus gave everything and you want to be like him and do the same. It's got to come from the heart. And I think of it like the faith without works is dead. Okay, giving doesn't mean you're generous or you love God. Okay, just because you give doesn't mean you're a generous person. It doesn't mean you love God. But if you love God, right, and trust him, then it should be apparent in your generosity and how you how giving you are of yourself and your possessions. And so as as I uh, study this, thought like can you imagine what would happen if the church started to live like that? Like as a whole, if the church, like even if just our church started to live like that, okay? If you want to talk about having an impact for the kingdom of God, if if at best 25% of the average church tithes, which is like the highest I could find anywhere, okay? Imagine if the rest of the 75% tithed, or if they gave more than that, okay? The ability that the church would have to fund missionaries and to fund work for the kingdom and to help the poor, like we're called to do, would just be expanded exponentially. If we as a church decided to excel in the grace of giving and figure out how we could give most to the kingdom, like the world would be changed. Okay? And so, as I was imagining this, God was like, well, you can sit around imagining it or you can do it. Okay? No, for real, that's what he said. And so I talked to, as I was going through this, uh, my wife and I talked, and I think the Lord spoke to her about it before she did to me, <laughs> before he did to me, or maybe he was trying the whole time. But she talked to me at the beginning of the year about giving more, and I was like, well, we are, uh, you know. But um, so we talked, and she's like, we need, to, we need to do it. God says to trust him and to test him, and if you so generously, you You'll reap generously. And so we decided we couldn't just not respond, especially as I'm getting up here and doing this. And so the Lord convicted me that, like, we need to increase our giving. 
not only to the church, but just like in general, being generous. It's like the number one thing on our prayer list this year is to be a more generous people. Um, so that's what the Lord said. You can imagine it or you can do it. And so I'm almost done here. I'm wrapping up. But again, we live in a culture where like living like this sounds crazy and I'm young and I don't know a lot of like, you know, living in the world yet. And I know that, but I, I can still like read and see God's heart and like hear his, his call here. Okay. Most of what Jesus said was counter, all of what he said was countercultural and a lot of it sounded crazy. So my encouragement to all of us is not to hear about abounding in liberality and just view it as giving a little more money. Okay, I believe God has called all of us as a church, and as a church like bigger in America, but especially like in our church because because we're here together. He has called us to reevaluate how we are living and how we use our money. Okay, He's calling us to sow generously, and the cool thing about that. Um, in 2 Corinthians 9, a little bit earlier, in verses 1 and 2, it says, There's no need for me to write to you about this service to the saints, for I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them since last year you in Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. Okay, so Paul says the Corinthians' enthusiasm stirred the Macedonians to action. And then... I can imagine that when the Corinthians found out that the Macedonians were, like, giving out of their extreme poverty, like, all of this that they didn't even have to give, that they were inspired to give more as well. Okay, and so abounding in liberality and generosity is a contagious thing. Okay, and how cool would it be to inspire other believers and other churches to excel in the grace of giving. So that's my exhortation to us as a church, that we not only seek to abound in liberality and be generous givers, but that we do it in light of the word and not in light of our culture. Okay? So I encourage all of us to truly put everything at the Lord's feet and see how we can most impact our world for the kingdom. And if we do this, God says we will reap generously. We will reap generously. So let's pray. Um, God, we thank you so much for your goodness, and we thank you that you were generous with us and that you're giving and that you uh, love us. Um, God, we thank you for your promises. And God, uh, we just ask that you would give us generous hearts and that you would, um, Lord, make us a people that abounds in liberality, that we would give out of the overflow of our heart because we see the love that you have for us, God. Um, Lord, I want to share that love with other people, and I just ask that you, um, through your Holy Spirit, would um, make us a church that shows um, love, um, not only in words and in tongue, but in action and in truth, Lord, and that you would awaken not just our church, Lord, but the church in America to be one that uses what you have given her for your kingdom and not for ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's uh, give it up for justice. <clears throat> really good job. I wanted to mention um, I w- a couple things. 
We have a number of books on the table back there on this topic of giving. Or really not on giving. It's on stewardship. It's on money. This book by Randy Alcorn I've mentioned before in, in the past, Money, Possessions, and Eternity. This is the best book I've ever, ever, ever read on, on this topic. It's a wonderful book. Um, Burkett's got a book, Debt-Free Living. Maybe you're in debt, need to get out of debt or stay, you know, stay out of debt, whatever. Uh, a shorter version of Alcorn's book with, is, is the smaller one. Um, I encourage you to uh, do some reading on this topic because what happens when you, when you read and study the Word is what, it's what happened to justice. You get convicted. And conviction is good. Conviction isn't guilt. Conviction is divine motivation. That's what it is. It's, it's God speaking to you in such a powerful way that you move. So we all want God to speak to us, right? So he speaks to us in a powerful way and it moves us to action. So it's a good thing. Conviction is good. Guilt is the devil. Conviction is God. Um, guilt brings death. Conviction brings life. Guilt brings not obedience. Conviction brings obedience. So... Um, so I encourage you to consider getting uh, one of these books. The other thing I want to say is this. Um, when, when God, I, I was saved in a church that, that, never took, that never took an offering. They believed that, that they did that because they didn't want that to be an issue for the unbeliever who might be attending. Because a lot of unbelievers say well, the church is all about getting your money, right? So they wanted to remove that as a potential stumbling block. So... They removed money from the equation of Christianity so much that I was never taught about giving and tithing. I was never taught about financial stewardship as a young Christian. Now, I was taught many things. I was taught how to study the Bible. I mean, really, how to study it. I was taught how to uh, um, evangelize. I was taught apologetics. I was taught a lot of great things, but I wasn't taught about stewardship. And um, And then the Lord, in His goodness to me, began to teach me himself. And I, and I came across a book by R.T. Kendall, something called Tithing. And I picked a short little book. I just picked it up and I read it. And God spoke to me. Conviction. And it was good. Because I felt, I felt like God was changing not what I did with my money. God was changing my life. Yes. I'm telling you. Changing my life. And I believe that many Christians in America, some maybe even in this room, are in bondage to uh, possessions and they don't even know it. They're, they're, they're an impasse spiritually. They are not, they're not achieving what God would have them achieve in their spiritual life. And, and one of the problems is this very area of the possessions. It is, it is fundamentally a heart attitude, but it's, it's a heart attitude that reveals itself in very literal, concrete, financial ways. Okay? Um, you know, we are prone to kid ourselves. I think I'm more spiritual than I really am. Okay? That's the truth. And I can kid myself that I pray more than I do, or I can kid myself that I studied the Word more than I do, but I can't kid myself about what I'm giving. Because I get a giving statement every year. Are you hearing me? Studies have actually been done on this. And people that don't tithe always overestimate what they give. They're deceiving themselves. 
So they put five bucks in the plate when it comes by, ten bucks, twenty bucks, whatever. The, oh yeah, I'm generous. I throw something in every week. But if they actually tithe, which means they plan it out, you've got to be more disciplined, they would end up giving more. They always thought they were giving more than they were really giving. That's our nature. And so this is an area you can't really deceive yourself. Not really. Because you're either doing it or you're not, and you can see. You can see what you're giving because it's it's recorded. Um, so, I don't know why I said that. Why did I say that? Oh, yeah, okay. So, so God, I was telling you my story. So, God uh, was gracious and, and spoke to me in, the, in this area, brought conviction, but really, really, it was liberating. I was excited. I mean, I, I began to teach other people about giving and tithing when I learned about it because I was so excited about this because it was, it was God doing a, a work in my soul. It wasn't just about money. Um, yet I saw, I saw God prove his word to me. And you know, that passage in Malachi that the justice referred to, you test me now on this. I did that and I saw God work my, and so the result, uh, was that my faith was profoundly increased, profoundly increased because I saw God do miracles as I began to trust him in certain uh, uh, financial areas. Um, so that is, is to say, this all happened to me when I was single, not married, no kids, and relatively young compared to now. And I say that because a lot of people sitting on this side of the room who are young and single, except for Mike thinks he is, but Mike, Mike will like to be. A lot of young, oh, there's a group of young single people. Listened to this message, but didn't receive it. Because they're still in this mode of thinking, well, that's for married people with children. Somehow that's for grown-up Christians, and I'm not really there yet. Because I'm single. Oh, or maybe I work part-time. Nowhere in Scripture to say, when you work full-time and you have children and you have a house, then you begin to tithe. Okay, it doesn't say that. The widow who gave the two mites, right, was probably not working at the time, or if she did, you know, she was gleaning somebody's field. She would probably have been on welfare today. You don't, you don't say, okay, well, I'll obey that when something social, you know, cultural happens to me. If I'm a Christian, you're called to do it. Okay? So you guys and you guys, whether you're working full time or part time, whether you're babysitting or you're a nanny or you're a computer programmer or you're a scientist, whatever you do, this is for you because you're a Christian. Whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're young, or whether you're old. I read an article on tithing recently, and it said uh, the number was very high. But of the Christians that they determined that were actually not only tithing, but giving more than a tithe, they began doing it when they were children. So if you're not tithing now, you are developing a bad habit. 
And the more you do a bad habit, the harder it is to break, right? And here's the thing about, about tithing. If you wait till you're making a hundred grand, you'll never do it because when you look at 10% of that, you're going to go, wow, that's too much money. (laughs) It's true. And studies have confirmed, confirmed that too, is that people in the lower income range tend to give more. And what happens is when you're making 20 or 30 grand, you're like, oh, okay, well, you know, a couple grand a year, I can do that. But then your income goes up. Well, if you're giving a percent, well, then your giving goes up, but it's all proportionate. So it really shouldn't matter. But for some reason, it does matter in our thinking because it looks like so much money. And so as people's income goes up, they start to give less. It's sad, isn't it? That's the trap of affluence that justice is talking about. That's the cultural influence. Um, Young or old... We all need to be, I believe, tithing as a minimum. And we need to be way beyond that. Um, this, this is the message that starts today. It doesn't, it starts, when we pass the plate tomorrow, it starts tomorrow. Okay, you don't delay obedience on this. You need to start doing it now. As painful as it may seem, get the pain over with. Because once you adjust, you're fine. The reality is, it's the adjustments, the hard part. You know, it's like when you go on a diet, you quit eating chocolate, it's like, oh. You know, for a week, you're dying. But then you're fine. Once you break that period, you're fine. Okay, so you're, you're going to have less money to spend at Starbucks. Okay, it's rough. I get it. We're suffering for Jesus. Not really. Okay. Not really. Okay. But then, you know what? You made the adjustment, and then you're fine, because you learned to live on less. So, um, it's for all of us. It's for all of us. I, I want, I can't tell you how much I want to see us as a church. We have some very generous people in this church. Trust me. But I do not like the idea that, you know, 30% of the members carry the other 70. It's not right. It's not fair. Every one of us is called to generosity. Amen. Amen. So let's take a moment, and I want to, just like us to bow our heads and have silent prayer. Bow your head. Don't look at me. Bow your head. Be in the Lord's presence. And you know the Lord spoke to you today. And now is the time to respond. A delayed, a delayed obedience is disobedience. We need to say yes, Lord, in our hearts to Him now. Lord, um, we're so very grateful for all that you give us. I do pray that as American Christians, we would not be seduced by our affluence and really, really, Lord, um, ruined by your blessings, or should I say by by how we have misused your blessings. Lord, I pray that you'd make us a free people and that we would be Lord of our possessions and not servants of them. I pray for all here, young and old, but especially for those, Lord, who have not yet begun the discipline of giving and tithing. I pray for grace upon them to obey. And Lord, you know my heart. You know this isn't about the church church having more money. This is about 
your kingdom, but it's about your blessing on them. Lord, I want to see your people prosper spiritually the way you've prospered them financially. We want to be free and strong. And so I pray, God, that that we would obey immediately. We would not delay, but we would commit in our hearts this very day that we would acknowledge your lordship of our possessions and we would begin immediately to tithe to you and then to see you provide because, God, you are faithful. Lord, we thank you for the food that we're about to partake. We acknowledge that it comes from your hand, as does everything that we have. I pray you bless our fellowship over uh, this lunch, we ask. In your name, all God's people said, Amen. Amen.